1: The famous vineyard, Romanicanti conti was first sold under that name in the 1790s during the French Revolution when the vineyard was seized from nobility and auctioned off. Before that, it was known as La Romane. And before that, it had a different name, Croix de Clou, when it was tended by monks from the Priory of Saint-Vivant. In 1760, the La Romane vineyard was sold to Louis-Francois de Bourbon, the Prince de Conti. Since then, the vineyard has been called Romane-Conti. But how did Louis-Francois become interested in the property? Who was he, and how did he influence the vineyard's social clout? Louis-Francois was born the great-grandson of Louis XIV. His convivial and extravagant nature was apparent from his teenage years, and he experienced a successful military career, the confidence of King Louis XV, and an active social life at his Parisian palace, where he rubbed shoulders with Mozart and Rousseau. He purchased the vineyard for 8,000 livres, a currency introduced by Charlemagne and used for about a 1,000 years. One livre was supposed to equal one pound of silver, so the Prince de Conti bought the vineyard for an equivalent of 8,000 pounds of silver, which in today's money would be something close to $2 million. A hefty sum, but a drop in the bucket considering he had just gotten 1 million livres as a dowry when his son married the year before. But why was the vineyard so expensive? Well, even back then, La Romanée was considered a great vineyard, and wines from there carried one of the highest market prices. When it went up for sale, lots of elite people wanted it, including Louis XV's mistress, Madame Pompadour. But Louis Francois won the bidding. Once in his possession, he added the name Conti to the vineyard and had all the wine diverted to his Parisian palace for personal consumption for himself and his palace guests. Upon Louis François's death, his son... Louis-Francois Joseph took over, and continued much like his father. But during the French Revolution, Louis-Francois Joseph was arrested, stripped of his possessions, jailed, then released, and then banished to Barcelona. The romani Conti vineyard was auctioned off, and Prince Louis-Francois Joseph died a poor man in Spain. With him died the Prince of Conti title. The history of the romani Conti vineyard echoes the very history of Burgundy. Once made for purely religious and sacramental reasons, it then entered a capitalistic world for a time, before it was claimed by royalty. In a way, Louis Francois's decision to take the wine off the market and keep it for himself parallels the excesses of the nobility that sparked the French Revolution. The vineyard was reappropriated and became a part of the free market once again. Though the land has been used to make religious, secular, and royal wine, Today it seems to have struck a nice balance in the global market. And though it's no longer made for sacramental purposes, most will tell you that drinking it is still a religious experience.
0: It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's S E T. Partners with an S.com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Aubert D. of DRC on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I am
2: fine, and uh, I, lo- I like the weather you have uh, today in New York. It's uh, cold and dry weather. I would love to take it back to Burgundy.
0: Well, it might be a different kind of wine then, you know.
2: I uh, know because uh, we need a. We have had a, a very mild and rainy uh, winter for the moment, and we need uh, cold to kill the bugs, and also to the, the vines uh, like to have a normal season and for the moment the uh, season has
0: been uh, too mild when did you first find yourself in Burgundy were you born there or did you move from another place
2: no I wasn't born there I was uh, I was born in uh, in uh, the north of France uh, just before the war uh, in 39 and later my my parents went to went to live in Moulins, which is in the center of France about 100 miles from Burgundy It's only when I was 25 that I I went to Burgundy. I arrived uh, as a member of a family who had been owners in uh, Burgundy for for several generations, but myself, new, newcomer.
0: And what was your family like?
2: My family is a family of uh, people who were uh, on one side, on the French side. There were uh, uh, people, uh, half military people, uh, and half peasants, uh, people uh, cultivating uh, cultivating uh, the land, uh, the earth, in Lallier, in certain France. And uh, so, a, a, I mean, a, a very traditional old French uh, family. And on the other side, on my mother's side, there were Russians uh, who escaped from Russia in uh, in uh, 1918. And my... Uh, and so very different uh, background, and uh, but the uh, my my mother left Russia with her parents when she was very young, nine years old in 1918, uh, was a refugee with her parents in, in England, and uh, met my uh, father in the 30s, uh, married him, and uh, spent all her life then uh, without moving from Moulin in Lallier, so it's uh, well, interesting because it's somebody who went through uh, the, the history of Europe through some of the most difficult uh, parts, the Russian Revolution, Second World War, and uh, but then uh, had a very quiet life with six children in uh, in this uh, small town of Moulin. And,
0: and what was think. childhood like, you know, post-war France?
2: Uh, you know, it's difficult because I, I don't have real uh, memories. My father was a prisoner uh, during the Second World War for, four, for almost five years. I uh, was born in, in the, on the 2nd of August of '39. He, he went to war on the 5th of September of the same year, '39, and came back in '44. So I, I uh, knew him only when I was uh, already a uh, five almost five years old
0: uh, child so you were one of the youngest children then the oldest you were the oldest child the Oldest. Yes. so when he came back they they had several more children right and when away he
2: came back uh, they had uh, five children in seven years <laughs> good job
0: <laughs> <laughs> they worked <laughs> and when did it occur to you that wine was going to be a part of your life
2: After my um, studies and after my um, military service, which I didn't finish because I I got uh, I caught um, a spinal meningitis during the during the military service.
0: That must have been very scary. uh,
2: Very, because uh, at the time uh, the army, you know, would uh, take care of you when you were almost uh, dying. So I I, I had a very uh, difficult time. in hospital for almost uh, for mo- almost a year, and uh, and then afterwards I decided to, to go away, and I came to this country to United States, and uh, I had some connections, so I I worked for a, a wine uh, importer uh, called Wildman, Frederick Wildman. and um, and then I went to California, worked for a winery over there called Almaden Winery. Who, Almaden at the time was the the winery trying to make good wine. I wrote articles for the Revue du Vin France who had asked me to, to write something about California because nobody in France knew that wine was made in California, which gave me the opportunity of a, of a rare um, encounter with um, the Bob Mondavi, who at the time was uh, nothing, who had uh, only a vision and... Uh, Somebody told me, you must meet this uh, person, which I uh, did. And it was a really an impressive man at the time with a really a vision for, uh, for his, uh, what he wanted to do. And the, the uh, encounter of people like this, of, uh, of being closer to the wine business, which I hadn't been before because my family wasn't living in the wine, uh, in the wine region, gave me the, really the incentive to, to start uh, working there. And so I wrote my father and his partner, Monsieur Leroy, and asking if I could learn. And they said uh, yes. And so I uh, came back to Burgundy and started to learn what the métier, you know, the, uh, the practices of uh, vigneron. And uh, so I started from, uh, from, the, from scratch, from the basis. And voila, it has been my life since.
0: Did you meet Paul Masson?
2: I didn't meet Paul Masson. I think he was, wasn't he died? I think I think he was dead at the time.
0: He was dead. You
2: know about Paul Masson? There is a a wonderful book written about him by a French writer, Jean-François Bazin. Do you know the book? No. Oh, well, it's a a pity. It's a uh, Jean-François Bazin, who, who lives in Burgundy, uh, who, uh, who many people call him uh, Monsieur Bourgogne, because he knows everything about Burgundy, uh, wrote a book about Paul Masson, because Paul Masson came from, uh, from Burgundy originally.
0: And uh, sorted the cuttings, I think.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, oui, I th- oui, oui, I think he did. And, um, and this book is a wonderful book. He tried to have it translated in, in English, and uh, uh, didn't find a, a publisher, which is too bad. So this, I take advantage of the occasion to uh, say that uh, it would be it would really be worth
0: translating. Presumably, you probably met your wife in the States. Uh,
2: I did. Uh, I did during a uh, in uh, it was in '68 uh, during a. Uh, then I, I was I had already started to work, and I was uh, working at the time with our friends Leroy to uh, promote our wines here in this country, besides working in the vineyards. And uh, I met her here through friends in New York, yes. That's how I met her and, and married her in 71.
0: So what was it like to learn the métier of being in Burgundy, of being involved with wine?
2: But you know, it. when I look back, I um, consider it as, uh, you know, le bon temps, as we say, the good time. I was uh, very poor, but I had an enormous uh, envy to learn. And uh, for for me, uh, I could see uh, how rich it was, how how this uh, region was... uh, um, And, you know, I had the impression also that uh, there was an, an incredible... Richness there of history, of, of potential, and that the uh, mentality of the people was, for some of the growers, a mentality that I could understand a mentality of uh, artists, pe- pe- people wanting to create something really great. But in many others, you, you had the, uh, the impression that they were uh, viticulteurs. You know, uh, viticulteurs is a very noble. Uh, name and occupation, but you know there is a difference between the people cultivating their vines to make wine and to make a great wine if possible, and uh, the people who cultivate their vines only to produce grapes that they will sell to merchants, or make wine themselves and uh, sell it to merchants. And uh, there is a big Difference of mentality between these two uh, kinds of uh, vignerons.
0: So DRC has a state bottled from fairly early on. So did you gravitate more towards the sort of person who bottled their own wine? Is that the sort of mentality that sort of oh, spoke oh, to
2: you. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. Uh, the uh, uh, when I uh, when I arrived in Burgundy, I was I didn't know uh, I didn't know anybody, and um, I. Uh, Fortunately, uh, uh, met uh, people like uh, Hubert de Monti, like uh, Jacques D'Angerville, like Charles Rousseau. And uh, these people uh, really had uh, the feeling that I was uh, in touch with the people who really understood what Burgundy uh, was, what Burgundy is. And uh, I learned a lot from my uh, contacts uh, with them. So, you know, you ask me, at the beginning, the question, how is it to, to be, uh, to start, In the, uh, I was trying to gather everything. I was like a, you know, a man, something that uh, I was trying to, to get any, everything I could from these people, from uh, my tastings. In, uh, in, uh, I tasted in many cellars. Uh, I uh, talked with a lot of uh, uh, old vignerons or young ones. It was a, a moment in life that uh, everybody, I think, uh, has known. It's a moment of life when you are like a, an aimant. Uh, aimant is the, you know, some, something that, uh, that attracts uh, uh, iron. A magnet. Magnet, voilà. You are like a magnet uh, that uh, you, you, you catch everything. And I was like a magnet uh, trying to catch everything uh, I could. And um, it is uh, at that time that I was given a task by uh, my uh, father and Mr. Leroy, who were the managers of the domain at the time, which was to gather documentation about the domain, about the, the wines we were producing, as a, a documentation to help us in a case that we had against people in France who were selling in Germany wine, under the name Remane, so very close to Romanet, and uh, and it was creating a a damage for the domain. So we had a court case there, and uh, this uh, mission that I was given to uh, gather this uh, documentation made me go into the archives in Paris, in Dijon, and, and I suddenly discovered that what I had read about Burgundy was certainly interesting, but there were much more than that, and uh, I discovered uh, all these uh, old uh, letters, old uh, deed of sales, etc., which uh, were used by uh, Richard Olney when he wrote his book about uh, Romani Conti.
0: Did you provide those to Richard? Yeah,
2: yeah. I see. I see. He he he, uh, he found things on his own, but uh, I provided him with uh, with a lot of the uh, of the, and we worked together, in fact, on this. Uh, so it's an incredibly
0: detailed book,
2: book oui, about oui, the history of oui, the. Position. Oui, it was a fascinating, uh, fascinating work. It was to uh, to work with a, somebody as a, a smart, sensitive, etc., as uh, as uh, Richard Dundee. So it is at that time that I, uh, I really uh, sh- formed my idea of Burgundy and uh, the way I look at it, uh,
0: my vision, if I can say. What did someone like Jacques D'Angerville you as i've never met him in jacques D'Angerville,
2: in uh, the one i talked the most uh, with was uh, uh, was hubert de monti i see uh, when, uh, jacques d'angerville uh, was more of a of a sort of a i would say sort of a father somebody uh, uh, the example you know more this is the example than somebody who told me a, a concrete thing but he was like sort of a, the
0: practical more yeah. of the
2: voilà, inspirational well uh, voilà, he was a Jacques D'Angerville was somebody who was so uh, so much looking for purity in his wines uh, and so uh, straight in his life, you know. So the, he was really a, a, a wonderful example. And uh, it was more like more like this.
0: And what did Hubert de Monti tell you? Uh, he told me a lot about uh,
2: his uh, idea, about uh, fining, for instance, I just think of that, but about uh, a lot of the... Uh, uh, know-hows, you know, the, uh, uh, the savoir-faire that uh, we have in Burgundy, and giving me his opinion about fining, uh, about, finding, about uh, uh, spraying this, about uh, hiking, uh, about uh, all the, the things that are uh, uh, questions, you know, because, uh, as you know, uh, to make uh, wines and to make, uh, to make great wines, it's, it's very much in the vineyards, but the élevage also is something extremely important, and uh, it's every year like a sort of a white page. And uh, you, you, to be able to speak with somebody who has had the experience of Hubert Monti, was an extraordinarily uh,
0: enriching. When did you first meet Becky Wasserman?
2: I think it must be in '68 or something like that, with her husband called uh, Bart Wasserman and who was a great taster, one of the best tasters I've uh, ever ever met. They arrived in Burgundy as a, it was really a, a sort of a gift of God, uh, the, the Wessermans, when they arrived in Burgundy, because they, they, for them, a little like for me, Burgundy was a sort of a, uh, a, a heaven. Not a heaven with a, an easy, peaceful life, but heaven because... Uh, of uh, all what it can uh, offer. And myself and a few other growers, young growers, we had a a wonderful time with uh, with the Wassermans. And myself, I think I was especially a friend uh, friend with them. And we were tasting together, traveling also together. It was a great great time.
0: What was France like? I mean, because in Paris in 68, 69, you had a lot of protests. What was it like in Burgundy in
2: the late sixties? Oh, uh, you know, it's um, in France. Uh, it's very much uh, when things happen in Paris. Very often, you, nothing happens in, uh, in France. <laughs> and I must say, in sixty-eight, you know, uh, nothing happened. Frankly, nothing happened. I uh, I went to Paris to see a little what was uh, happening. And uh, I remember, I went to the I went to La Sorbonne after the, the things were finished. And uh, I could just to have a look at. It. But well, uh, frankly, it didn't leave. Uh, well, I, think I have to be short about this because he didn't uh, leave uh, any any trace in my uh, neither in my life or in my memory.
0: Did you ever picture
2: Except meeting my wife?
0: Did you ever picture a, a métier for yourself that wasn't wine? Was there a period of time when you considered doing something else? I
2: think I would have liked to be. A, a, I would have liked to be a teacher. If I had, uh, maybe if I had to choose another another profession, but you know, uh, I must say when I I decided to go into the, the into the wine, I dedicated myself totally to it, and uh, I, I dived into it, and uh, I never thought of anything else.
0: What was the condition of the vineyards in Burgundy in the sixties? I mean, I imagine that would have been dawn of the chemical era where people were starting to use herbicides wait
2: well, it was the it was the yes it was a time uh, we were not uh, so far from uh, after the war you know and people were uh, discovering that you could uh, protect your crop uh, from the beginning to the to the end to the to the harvest uh, with these uh, chemical products you could uh, feed your vines with uh, also with uh, a chemical that would uh, concentrate you know the elements you they, they, they need and it was a period where you had at the same time uh, this uh, miracle of being able to protect your crop from the beginning to the end completely. at the same time the uh, market was being uh, becoming uh, better was uh, asking for more wine. France was considered as the finally as the only, country in the world producing fine wines. So it was a sort of a a moment of where everybody is um, is very human, is taken towards productivity. And at that time, it's sure that uh, Burgundy was, uh, everybody was trying to produce as much as the Appellation Contrôlée would uh, allow. And uh, capitalization was... uh, Something uh, that was used uh, widely. Uh, the, um, the chemical products were were also used. It was a a, a period with, uh, through which I, I guess we had to go. We had to go through in order to understand uh, what not to do. Voilà. And uh, at the same time, uh, in uh, in the seventies, suddenly uh, uh, you had. Uh, People like uh, Mondavi in California. And, uh, and the French didn't realize it at the beginning that uh, some uh, other countries uh, were also realizing that the market was becoming uh, good and, and wanted to give us a, a, how do you say a run for our money. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, so we, we, and we didn't realize it at, uh, at the beginning and we went on this uh, sort of easy times. And uh, it's only uh, in the middle seventies that uh, uh, suddenly uh, we, we realized that. And uh, one of the things that uh, opened the eyes was this, uh, this famous, uh, this famous um, tasting. You know that uh, uh, where some California wines were tasted uh, better, if I can say. And, and you were at that Cali- tasting. The sprayer uh, tasting. At, uh, was it the tasting? And I think it is. Uh, the best thing that could have happened to the uh, French wines and to Burgundy because we, we received a, you can say, a kick in the ass. Huh? Not only this uh, tasting, but le- I take it as a sort of a symbol, but uh, the apparition of, of these uh, wines, uh, these uh, competitors around the world, made us little by little understand that if we wanted to keep our place, we had to come back. To the fundamentals uh, and uh, and uh, come back to what Burgundy is uh, is is made for.
0: What was your reaction to the wines as they were being poured at that tasting?
2: Frankly, I don't remember very well because it was a very social event. I see. Stephen Spurrier had invited a few people uh, whom he knew. I was invited uh, because I had the wrong, completely wrong reputation that I knew something about California wines. But it all was, because you had been there but I had been there uh, ten years before and uh, i i didn't I had not followed at all uh, what happened in california so so I really didn't know uh, but it was social and the people were uh, talking and uh, I remember we had one glass uh, the, the wine we didn't have you know all the glasses uh, we had one glass only and the wines were poured one after the the other and w- we didn't know there was a there were California wines. They we, never told we, you. Uh, no, were... we didn't know they were French wines. Oh, I see. Voilà. They told... told
0: you it was a voilà, one California. Well, a
2: California tasting, and uh, so we we we, t- we t- And afterwards, uh, Stephen asked for our, our notes, uh, and he gave a he gave a, a ranking, and then said, "You know, these wines <laughs> these wines are, are are California. They are not. Uh, they are not French." And uh, for him, I, I really believe uh, that it was a it was it was finished. I mean, it was fun, a fun uh, uh, event, a fun day. Yeah. But uh, there was a this um, journalist from the New York Times, I think, who was behind and uh, who who uh, think, oh, but there is something. Uh, there is this is a scoop, they say, and uh, and uh, and that how it uh, this, this thing was told about.
0: And what was the condition of the domain in the seventies? What was it like in the seventies? at DRC?
2: At the domain, it was a... We, we were uh, always... Uh, we have been always respectful of the soil at the domain. We have been... As I told you, the uh, the trend was for uh, chemicals and all... And, uh, but we have, for instance, we never used uh, herbicides. Of course, we used uh, pesticides to like uh, like everybody. and And the yields were certainly at the time more important, suddenly more important than what they should have been, which didn't uh, keep us to make very good wines. And today I'm very surprised to taste wines of the, of that time, 72s, 73s, 76s even, that are, with time, much better than uh, we considered them at the, at the beginning. And uh, so the... The terroir speaks always, huh? and uh, even if the years were a little higher than they should have been the uh, these wines still carry very well their terroir and This is something that has been uh, very very surprising to me, especially uh, recently when I tasted these
0: and how should I understand the terroirs of the domain if I were to think about those different vineyards and the wines they produce, what are some of the keys to understanding each?
2: It's very difficult question, because uh, what you ask me is to tell you what what makes the personality of, uh, of, of this of this terroir on that one. And uh, it, it is very it is very difficult, because in a climate, let's say if you take a climate like, uh, like La Tache, where you have uh, uh, from the top of La Tache to the bottom, the whole uh, Grand Cru area is uh, covered by La Tache, from top to, to the bottom. You have uh, different soils, uh, uh, at least f- f- five or six different uh, types of, of soil, so which shows very well that uh, the climate are not only based on the natural conditions but also are man's construction
0: through the history of time forming the boundaries.
2: Exactly, exactly. And
0: uh, bon, romain
2: Romani Conti is a very, is, is a quite homogeneous terroir with. Uh, Practically everywhere, about the same type of soil, but Latache very, very different. And certainly, this uh, this uh, complexity of uh, of uh, types of soil in Latash is the key to the wine it produces. So you have to to be very careful. For instance, if we take something like the compost that we put uh, from uh, let's say every. Every depends of the vineyard. Every two, three, four years, uh, you have to have a different approach, depending if you are at the bottom of the or the top, and uh, because you're, if you put every everywhere the same uh, amount, you may have a, a, a very a response that is good from one one part and and not as good from the from the other. So you have to be uh, very careful and. One thing is certainly that I have learned is that the least you you do, uh, you, the least you bring to the vineyard, the more chances you have to have in the wine an expression of the true personality of the of the wine. I don't mean you you have to do nothing, but for instance, with the compost, you have to be very gentle. It's important to bring some compost as a as a nutrient bringing. Microbial life, not as a fertilizer, but probably microbial life, and um, but you have to be uh, very gentle and be uh, have a different uh, approach depending on what part of the vineyard you deal with. This is my answer to your question on the vineyard approach. Huh?
0: So I think you know the tendency, at least for me, is to often think because they're so great how. About Romanée Conti or Latache, but you have other holdings. Do you feel that in those other holdings, one or more than one is kind of overlooked sometimes? Is there one that maybe doesn't get the reputation it deserves from the quality of the wine?
2: Well, I, uh, yes. I think uh, to take an example in this uh, hierarchy that you have in the Grand Cru of Romanée from Romanée Conti, Latache, Richbourg, Romanée Saint Vivant. Richebourg, Romain Saint-Vivant, being about on the same uh, level, and then on flagey Chezot, grands Chezot, and Chezot, you have a, a wine that is, in my opinion, a very great wine, is the grands Chezot, The grands Chezot, which has the name Chezot, and is separated from the Chezot only by a small uh, path, but uh, where the soil is very different from the Chezot, where the Chezot you have a shallow soil, the rock is very close to the surface. You dig up uh, rock very often when you plow, and in the uh, in the Grand-Echassieu, much deeper soil and uh, much with uh, more clay. And um, the two wines are very, are very first. The two wines are very different. And second, the Grand-Echassieu, in my opinion, is uh, much closer to Latache, for instance, than it is to the Echassieu. Uh, and the Grand-Echassieu, with its name, Echassieu. Because he has the name uh, Echeeau. I think it's more grand than Echizeau. Voilà, it's more grand than Echaeau and uh, it's, a, it's a wine that should deserve a maybe a higher ranking that it has in,
0: in reality. What about some of the other vineyards? What would you say the characteristics of richpor are?
2: Well, of course the uh, they depend uh, they depend of the vintage, but every year, especially with time you have in the Richbourg a um, character which, which is unique, and which is very different from Romani Conti, where you have this because it doesn't have this silky, uh, very silky character in the, in the mouth. Very different from Romani Saint Vivant, where it doesn't have the very very the very fine bouquet uh, of Saint Vivant, uh, which is very close to the. Romane Conti, it has a, a personality that is very much oriented towards muscles. It's a personality that is uh, always uh, the rich it's not a, a wine where you find uh, some uh, questions about uh, if God exists, you know, or it's a, it's a wine that uh, is uh, very terre à terre you know, uh, feet on the ground, and uh, I very easily uh, see it as a sort of a the bodyguard of Romani Conti, you know, just uh, sitting there, looking, uh, being uh, close to Romani Conti, protecting it, and uh, voilà, <laughs> the sort of bodyguard. But you know, you those impressions about the wine as are things that can be uh, uh, that are very uh, uh, personal. They're, no, I know. I know what you would like to. What you would like to. What you would like. We find out if we can today is to find the what makes the personality of Richebourg. It's obviously because you you are uh, the on the slope. It uh, it is on the slope on the same level as Romani Conti, plus a, a about one third above. Romane conti against la Romane in fact one, one third is against la, la Romane and uh, what you realize is that the combination of this um, this lower part and this upper part uh, makes a very different wine from Romane conti uh, where you where you you don't have the very fine bouquet you have something more immediate in the, in the in the nose more, uh, uh, more uh, powerful, less fine and in the in the in the mouth also more powerful than Romani conti and uh, without the, 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 the this uh, very thin texture that you have. So this certainly explains itself by the uh, situation on the slope and uh, it shows also well that uh, the best situation on the slope, is obviously uh, what we call the Piedmont, which is uh, the palm of the slope. You know, at the, at the bottom of uh, the bottom of the slope, uh, where Romanée Conti is by itself. Latache takes the whole Grand Cru area, uh, bottom to top. Richebourg takes it uh, from uh, the middle, but also the top. Uh, Romanée Saint Vivant, uh, the bottom. And you have the Romani Conti there in the middle, who is just at the ideal position to make uh, the greatest wine.
0: There's been some revitalization of the vines in Romani Saint Vivant in recent years, and what prompted those, and how did you go about it?
2: Oh, you know, this is something that I think all uh, g- uh, growers go, go through. The Romani Saint Vivant that we, we um, were uh, given the Romani Saint Vivant in '66. And uh, we became uh, owners of it in uh, '88, and um, it made oh, during all these years very good, uh, very good wine, very interesting wine. And uh, but I was always uh, uh, shocked by, in the mouth, a certain rudeness. Voilà, a certain rudeness. And um, I thought that it was not really part of the. Uh, I wish to take take it away from this uh, Grand Cru, and uh, so we we vinified by, by parcels, what you call blocks, hmm? by parcels choosing to vinify apart two parcels that we thought were perhaps uh, where this uh, thing was coming from. And uh, so we did this, we did it for several uh, years and uh, it came out uh, that yes, uh, one of these parcels was of very old uh, old vines, so normally should have given great wines, but in fact, the, the, these very old vines were not very fine. And uh, so the, the sort of harshness was coming partly from this, and partly from another vineyard, and uh, f- for the same reasons. And so uh, we tried to circumvent this by pruning differently. Putting uh, weeds, how do you see that, uh, herb. Oh, you know? cover, crop.
0: Uh, well, yeah. cover crop. Yeah,
2: cover crop, and uh, for se- uh, several years, and it d- didn't change anything. They were still vinified uh, separately and uh, not coming anymore into the bottle. So, for a number of years, we made Romalie Saint Vivant with uh, only uh, three hectares out of the uh, three hectares and a half out of the uh, five and more that, uh, that we had. So, we decided to. Out and at the same time, what was uh, uh, what uh, decided me to do that was that um, at the same time we were uh, we were developing uh, and uh, very nicely the the uh, our selection of fine types of Pinot. uh, Since uh, now I think thirty five years, uh, we we have been uh, selecting in our old vineyards, the, especially uh, in the ones that had been replanted with graftings, uh, taken from the old Romaniconti Conti before uh, it was uh, torn out in 1945, so to try to save some of these very fine types of Pinot. And we finally happened to have around uh, 25, 30, uh, we'd say, clones of, of ours, which were really fine, and which we could use for uh, replantation, so we we tore out these uh, these two parcels of uh, little by little, not in at once but little by little, these uh, two parcels of um, of saint vivant and uh, replanted them, and the last one had uh, been replanted last year, so uh, I hope uh, these uh, new vineyards are picked uh, apart and will uh, for uh, some years. Be uh, vinified as Ron Premier Cru, but I hope because of the quality of the vines that have been used that in uh, maybe four or five years we are able to put them in, in the Romanet Saint Vivant. Uh, and I should have said at first it is that uh, once the uh, parcels were put aside, our Roman Saint Vivant uh, took a very different texture and, and much closer to what uh, they wanted.
0: More I like th- romani Canty, I think, voilà, silkier. Uh,
2: silkier and uh, more corresponding to what you expect from a, a Grand Cru like des Saint Vivant, uh, which has, by essence, a, a feminine character.
0: You've done a number of experiments over the years with different kinds of vinification, just to see what the results would be, a small batch, and, you know, not for release, but just to see what would happen. What have been some of the findings and results of of those numerous experiments with the different vineyards that you have and different vinification techniques?
2: the The experiments is something we, we have done uh, all the time. We 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 have we have done and we still do experiments. The uh, destemming or, or keeping the stems, destemming, is, is something. Yes, it is uh, always a, a question. It's not so much a question for us uh, anymore. We experimented a number of times with uh, very small batches on uh, 100% stems, uh, 0% stems in a a sunny year, in a rainy year. And uh, it's uh, very obvious that in a sunny year, when you have a phenolic maturity uh, that is uh, very good, then you can uh, keep the stems. And I think the stems bring really... A potential to the wine, especially a potential for aging. The, if uh, you have a, a rainy year when the uh, maturity was reached at the very end and uh, the, the the stems and the, uh, the skins that don't have a very complete phenolic maturity, uh, then it's uh, important to, to take off some of the stems. Because, again, when you make experiments uh, in a year like this, uh, with 100%, 0%, you see very easily that the, the, the answer is, is in the middle, more or less in the middle. Uh, which makes me uh, say that uh, it's one of the rules we have in Burgundy, that uh, the the solution of is most of the time in, in the middle, never in the extremes. Never in the extremes. Uh, so it's a... It's something that we have uh, really uh, experimented enough to know more or less how much stems uh, to take off or uh, uh, to keep them uh, entirely. It's uh, it's it's not a uh, big not a big problem. And uh, there, there there is a sort of, there was a sort of a legend about the domain saying that uh, we don't distem, uh, which is uh, wrong. We we we. Uh, don't distem when we think we don't have to distem, and we distem when uh, when we have when we think we have to. And I think to keep a good part of the stems, even in a difficult year, in a in a rainy year, uh, with less maturity, is something important because what is brought to the wine by this uh, by these uh, stems are um, precursors, As we say, precursors, of uh, the uh, very fine bouquets, fine perfumes that you have in the wine when it takes uh, time these uh, what I call and other people can call them different what I call rose petal character, very delicate uh, rose f- fading rose petal you know very very delicate character and this in my opinion is uh, enhanced by keeping, some of the stems.
0: And what about cold maceration? Do you do some of that?
2: No, 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 never cold maceration. We, uh, if we have a a vintage, when the grapes arrive in the winery, uh, warm, uh, let's say, uh, in the afternoon, it can very well arrive at 25 degrees, then we will try to, to lower the temperature as much as we can, take it back, if we can around 16, 17, 15, 16, 17 uh, uh, maximum, so that the fermentation doesn't start immediately, but takes a few days to to start. And if it is very cold, and uh, for instance, I remember when was it in 2012 or 11, uh, we had to uh, to warm up a little the the the, the grapes because they came. Uh, in at uh, 10 12 uh, 13 degrees uh, so the fermentation was not start- starting so we t- we we helped we helped it by by uh, heating by heating the, uh, by heating the uh, slightly to 15, when it which is the temperature when the fermentation starts. but cold maceration i, I am uh, I don't uh, believe in cold maceration every technique in my opinion which will extract uh, more than what is naturally extracted by a natural fermentation, is bad. as This is really our experience at the domain. Everything that is uh, where you try to go further than what nature will do, it's always a mistake.
0: Do you ever flambe the wood? Do you ever start a fire in the fermenting tank before you put the grapes in?
2: Oh, but this is an old... Uh, this is an old. Uh, it's, it has no influence uh, of any kind on the on the winemaking. It is uh, just a, a way to disinfect the uh, because uh, you know the the, the vats are uh, the wooden vats. We, we we vinify in wooden vats. They are cleaned with uh, with uh, with water and and uh, and uh, uh, dried as much as possible. But uh, the uh, this uh, technique of uh, of uh, putting some mar and lighting it and having a, uh, the alcohol of the mar uh, burn uh, is, is, a, is a way to septize the, uh, the tank.
0: Because sometimes when I've tried <coughs> Romney-Conti wines very young, I almost had a, a mouth-numbing sensation like on my tongue, like a little bit of a numbing sensation of the very young wines from barrel. I wondered if it might have been a slight hint of char.
2: Oh, no, 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 no! Because there is no char. There is no char at all. It's a, it's the when you see the the vet uh, after this uh, this um, uh, this burning of the of the. There is no no no. You have nothing left. Huh? It's uh, it has it's all gone. It has, and and the wood itself is not attacked at all.
0: And what about the wood? Francois Frère and Raymond.
2: You mean the wood of the of the uh, barrels? Yes, sir. Uh, the wood of the vats. It's different. It's I not see. important. No, the wood of the vats. Uh, it's not important. I mean, the vat is a is a content. Is not the, the uh, for the barrels. A bad experience that we had many years ago with our tunnelier made us choose to buy the wood ourselves. The merin to buy ourselves to uh, ask uh, Artenelier François to store the Mérin, a special place in, his, uh, in Saint-Romain, where it's very windy and uh, in, in, good, uh, in good situation to be uh, in, uh, outside. And uh, we ask him to use this uh, wood for our barrels. And uh, so we, uh, we have uh, all the time uh, the, 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 the wood necessary for, let's say, uh, three, four, five years of uh, of, uh, of barrel making, being in storage over there, and every year he makes a certain number, uh, the number of, 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 um, of barrels we, we need from this wood. And uh, uh, we use uh, uh, wood that has been uh, aged three years and four years. We tried five years, but it was not,
0: uh, it was not uh, interesting. And Francois Frere makes the barrels out yes. of that
2: wood. Yes, yes. We use also uh, a few barrels every year to, to see, uh, not to, uh, let's say, to keep, and to keep uh, Francois and his toes also. Uh, we use a few barrels from uh, Taranso, from uh, other, other um, cooperage.
0: What about the Noble family? They've worked a long time, a couple of different generations at the domain. What have you learned from them? What has it been like working with them?
2: Oh, but the Nobles are, are, uh, Nobles are part of the domain. They are uh, really uh, they, they, they belong to the domain. Um, if we take uh, Bernard Noblet, who is our uh, s- cellar master right now, uh, his grandfather started to work at the domain before uh, marrying a woman who owned vineyard and who started, started his own domain, but he worked at the domain. And then um, André Noblet, Bernard's father, was uh, an extraordinary vigneron, extraordinary winemaker, who uh, really uh, was, uh, uh, was important in the reputation that the domain gained uh, in, uh, after, the, after the Second World, World War. And uh, today Bernard who has uh, received uh, some uh, things from his father but also has uh, really worked on his on his own and has worked with me to we work together to go further bernard is a is a also a somebody who is uh, essential for for the domain and uh, his sister was had been, has been working in our office for uh, all her life the nobles are uh, are, uh, are uh, the the salt of the domain, if I can say.
0: And what about the addition of a sorting table? When did that happen? Was it a little earlier than other estates? Uh,
2: I don't think we were the first ones to to have a sorting uh, table, but um, I I remember the uh, vintage 76, when we very large, I mean quite large vintage, and finally, as we picked late, uh, n- n- not very nice grapes, uh, the grape, because the, the rain arrived uh, before the before the. Uh, it was a very very dry year, seventy six, very warm and dry. <coughs> the grape, uh, the rain arrived. We picked uh, after the rain, and uh, the, the grapes were not so nice, to 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 uh, well, not very healthy. And um, that was the last year when we when we harvested in Ballange. Uh, and without uh, and with with no sorting, no sorting at the winery. Sorting was done in the vineyard, in the vineyard but not in the winery. And uh, I remember Laloubiès and myself. We thought that it was really a pity uh, to do that. We really had to uh, to uh, find uh, a way to uh, to be able to sort. And we at the time there was no sorting table. From uh, later, I learned that. A few other people had tried, but we, uh, we worked with, a, with, a, in, uh, with an industrialist from Le Creusot uh, who built a, a sorting table for us. It was a big thing. Uh, this man was building uh, big uh, vets. I mean, his, uh, his, uh, his trade was to make big vets for uh, industry. And so he, 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 he built for us a big uh, a sorting table. Uh, and we and the first one uh, we, uh, I mean, and the first vintage was 77, and then uh, after that we had another one that was uh, uh, more uh, more easy to use, and uh, now we have one I think that couldn't be much better than than it is, but um, it's something that has brought a lot to our uh, to to the quality of the grapes we put in the in the in the, in the in the vat. But it's also something that has learned uh, to us that uh, the most important sorting is at the um, at the vineyard. That uh, if you count on your sorting table in the winery to sort uh, your grapes in a year of uh, botry- botrytis, you uh, it's a, it's a bad it's a it's a, you you are you are wrong you are wrong. The, first, the most important is in the vineyard. The sorting on the sorting table must only be a fine tuning. It's only if it is a fine tuning that you will have in your vet the, uh, the,
0: the grapes uh, as you
2: want them to be.
0: And speaking of the vineyard again, I mean, Claude Bourgognon consults with you and has consulted for a number of years. What is the experience that you've learned from him? What is the advice you've taken?
2: Claude Bourguignon has been, a door, certainly, uh, he has opened doors for, for us, uh, especially in the knowledge of the soil. Before Claude Bourguignon, uh, we, had no, uh, idea that, uh, we had no idea that we had no idea that of the importance of the of the of the of the, of the clay, for instance, uh, and how important it was to respect this. Uh, Clay with these uh, internal surfaces, you know that are uh, uh, with this. Uh, uh, the clay is uh, something that is extremely. Uh, it is extremely easy to uh, uh, to shut down, and um, well, this is the most uh, the most important thing that uh, Claude taught us is the uh, the respect of the soil. I mean, to a confirmation that if we don't try to find ways not to compact the soil if we if we don't find ways uh, not to give life to the uh, to all the uh, bacterias microbes and uh, worms etc., all this life in the soil we are not we will not reach uh, what uh, our goal so this has been uh, very important
0: and you had special tractors designed so that you wouldn't compact the soil? Alors
2: this is, uh, oui, this is something that uh, is both uh, something that came from the uh, teaching of uh, Claude Bourguignon, but also from the use of the horse. Because um, uh, I decided, uh, I don't remember exactly when, I decided to use a horse because it, it, does, it compacts uh, much less than a big uh, tractor. And uh, so we did. And um, by doing so, uh, you you realize uh, you you would have realized also that at the same time, if you use if you use a horse not to compact, it would be ridiculous to after afterwards to come with a big tractor to spray, you know, to uh, to treat the the. the, the. So we had to find uh, light uh, tractors. So we did uh, find uh, light tractors but they were uh, they broke all the time so we we had a a a builder who uh, designed a tractor for for us that uh, was uh, light and this was very important uh, uh, and the the horse was for us uh, something important not so much because of the horse uh, itself even if it is uh, very nice to have a horse Working in the vineyard because it doesn't compact, but um, and it is beautiful to see. To, and uh, sometimes when people tell me, uh, uh, "But why do you have a horse?" It's folklore, you know. And uh, I say, uh, "No, it's." not. Uh, it, I try to explain why it's not folklore. And I, and finally, uh, if they are insistent, I say, "But we have a horse because it's beautiful, and it, it's true. It's uh, to see to to watch a horse working in in the vineyard. It's something." Uh, it's like a work of art. It's beauty. It's a it's a beautiful thing, and uh, what uh, what we learned from that is that uh, you cannot have, you cannot uh, have a horse and then have a big tractor. So uh, we had this uh, light tractor. Uh, we had to find this light tractor, and uh, we found some that were um, uh, that broke all the time. So we had our own tractor uh, built for us by a builder who. Started it as a tractor that he built in many uh, uh, in many uh, examples for other for other people. We we are using now these uh, lighter uh, tractors uh, for all our vineyards, not only where the horse is. So the lesson for us of the of the horse has been certainly. Uh, it's interesting to have a to have a horse, but it's um, the, the light tractors that he. Made us start with was the most important.
0: And you make some wines that you don't commercialize, Batard Mauvage and wines from the Oak Coat, that from vineyards that you got from the Maury Monge. What are those wines like?
2: The Batard is, is a wine we make one we make one barrel every year of, of Batard, and um, I think all the people who uh, had the occasion to to taste it. Uh, at, at, at the domain only because this is uh, well. For a few occasions we have had uh, the batard drunk in, uh, outside of the domain, but usually it's drunk at the domain, and it makes a a, a wine that I think is uh, is at the level of 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 Montrachet because it comes from a very old vineyard, uh, something like hundred years old, produ- uh, producing small uh, uh, small clusters. Uh, Golden berries. Uh, you put that on the pressoir, comes out a juice that is uh, beautiful, and uh, and and it it's a, it's a wine that makes itself. I mean, you have nothing to do, and it it's uh, in my opinion a great white wine. But it's not uh, it's not on the market. Uh, but I don't think you you can make uh, many greater wines than this in, uh, in 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 Burgundy, and the. And the um, the wine, uh, the Haute Cote, is, a, is a, it's a vineyard that we uh, we uh, inherited, if I can say, with the monastery of Saint Vivant when we bought it in uh, in the ninety in the in the ni- I think it's ninety in the nineties, and it makes a, a wine that is uh, good. I think a nice uh, Haute Cote, uh, and which we uh, drink uh, also. It's a uh, it's sold, uh, we, we, we have it sold uh, by uh, two merchants and uh, two friends. Yeah. But it, it's a nice wine, but nothing, uh, uh, you know, the terroir, it's, it's not one of the best of, uh, of, uh, of the Haute Court, and it makes a nice wine.
0: When you were given the title of co-generant and then generant, in charge of DRC, what were your feelings and what were your goals? What did you want to achieve?
2: It, uh, I remember it happened at the same time as um, I, uh, we, we had a, a fascinating tasting for the book uh, by Richard Olney of all the Romani Contis uh, we had at the domain. For me, it was uh, the first time I, 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 was, uh, I was doing this we had so few Romani conti from before the phylloxera you know, before 1945, that uh, uh, there were sacred bottles but we would never uh, taste them, and uh, so and this uh, testing uh, made me discover wines that were very old, but not old uh, to taste, uh, not young either, but had a sort of a, a something eternal. sort of a serenity Uh, wines uh, where you you, the impression was that all the the flesh all what uh, was gone and the wines were all spirit and uh, you know uh, when a wine is uh, like this uh, a spirit you have the impression that it can uh, last for for, forever and this was the first time for me to taste wine like, like this so for me, it became uh, what you call in—I think it's not a nice word—benchmark, you know. And uh, and uh, and so when I was named co uh, cogerant and, and I took the responsibility after '91, well, my goal was to try to make wines like this huh? and to put uh, all our effort and do everything we could at all levels to make wines of that uh, of that calibre. And do we make wines of this caliber? Today, I don't know. I don't know, um, but we try to.
0: What is the, the next step at the domain over the next 30 years? What is the next challenge? You've recently taken responsibility for vineyards in Corton. You have revitalized not just Romani Saint-Vivant, but soil and a number of your vineyards. You're the benchmark wine. Of the world at this time, are there future challenges for the domain still to be met?
2: The, uh, the Corton challenge was uh, something that I'm very pleased we we uh, we did because uh, I uh, since some time I wanted I wanted the domain to have a a, uh, a challenge that would be not only the challenge of making uh, great wines every year but also something that would uh, oblige us. Uh, to have imagination, to think of other things that only the, 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 the main wines. And Corton was uh, useful for, for this. It was a a, inter- a very interesting challenge that is not at all finished because now we have uh, more or less understood the, the vineyards and we are now, we have started to make the, we have started to take the steps to replant some, to uh, tea some others towards uh, what will be in some years a vinification by climat and not anymore as a as a corton. Although I wonder if what we what we do today with a corton with three climat is perhaps uh, the, the answer. This I'm not sure about. But the challenges for the future I think it's really a challenge to keep our philosophy the way it is. And you know Everything is done by by people. The domain, it's vineyards, but it's also an enterprise, a a company. It's a a team. And uh, this team has to keep that uh, philosophy you need to have to make great wines, because uh, to make great wines is an addition of details and... uh, the way you, the way uh, one will sweep the courtyard, I wouldn't say is as important as some other things. But everything is uh, is important. Everybody has to have in their mind that we want to make uh, great wines. Uh, we have a team which has this philosophy uh, right now, but it's something uh, fragile. I know how difficult it is to to keep this. Uh, this uh, envy, this, uh, this uh, dynamism. Uh, and in, for me, the challenge for the future, it's that, just that, to keep uh, to keep uh, uh, this momentum we have in our, uh, in our team.
0: Robert Duvalain, he wanted to be a teacher and he defines greatness as the building of a team. Thank you very much for being here today. Robert Duvelin of Domaine de la Romani-Canti. Thank you very much.